Psalm 90, found on page 599. Psalm number 90. Uh, Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at different Psalms. We're here this week, next week. We will be on Psalm 91. So we're going to read this together and we're going to look at it later in the service. Perhaps a bit of context might help us to understand the psalm. You can see from the title, it's written by Moses. Moses was the leader of God's people whenever they left Egypt. He led the people out. Problem was, both Moses and the people sinned against God. In spite of all that God had done for them, they grumbled against him and they disobeyed him. And so, as punishment, God decreed that none of those who had left Egypt would enter the promised land. They would all die in the wilderness because of their sin. And I think as we get that context, some of what we see here in the psalm is going to make sense. So psalm number 90, we're going to read the whole psalm. This is God's word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set out our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? 
have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Well, we'll be coming back to study this passage very soon. Uh, before we do, we're going to turn to this psalm in our psalm books. It reminds us that we are weak. It tells us you are going to die. It's a fairly strange song when you think about it, isn't it? You would expect a worship song to be cheery and upbeat and yet Psalm 90 most of the way through is incredibly morbid. It's a psalm that tells it like it is. God rather than sugarcoating the truth he shows us the bleakness and it's only then that God gives us hope. And I think If we were to pick out just one verse that is the key to this psalm, it might just be verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's the goal of the psalm. It's the goal of this morning's sermon. It's that we would live wisely. So we want to look at what it means to be wise according to this psalm. So firstly, wise people think about death. Wise people think about death. The psalm begins in verse 1 with God. But very quickly, we see a contrast. Verse 1 and verse 2, we have this everlasting God. Then, verses 3 to verse 6, we have us. And we're shown here in our frailty and in our weakness. We're reminded several times that we are going to die. Have a look at those verses. Try to get a feel for just how flimsy and how fragile each of our lives are. Verse 3. We're dust. We've come from dust and we return to dust. I don't know if anyone here regularly goes to the gym. If you do, this verse is really very sobering, isn't it? 
those muscles that weightlifters build up, those legs that get the marathon runner across the line. One day will be dust. They will be impossible to distinguish from the soil of the earth. Verse 5. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. The picture here is of a flood. I'm sure probably all of us have seen footage on the news of tsunamis. You've seen houses and buses and everything that stands in front of the tsunami gets swept away. Moses is telling us here, it doesn't matter if you want to die or not. You can cling on with all of your might. You can do everything that you possibly can to prolong your life. But when the raging torrents come... You're going to be swept away. When God says that it's your time, you can't resist anymore. Also verse 5, we are like the new grass of the morning. It's just not the same for us here in Northern Ireland. I want you to think of the dry arid conditions that Moses would have seen in the desert. The land is all parched and cracked. Everything is brown. Everything's dusty. Every so often it would have rained during the night. And whenever the people woke up, whenever they got out of their tents, they would see grass. It would be green. Problem is, the sun would beat down during the day. It would be 40 degrees. The roots would shrivel up. And by the time that the sun set, the grass would be brown and withered. It had looked so green and so lush just a few hours before. It had seemed so healthy. And then, before you know it, it's gone. Moses is saying here, you may feel like you're indestructible. You may have all sorts of plans for the future. You may be a young man or a young woman. You may not even have reached your 20s. And yet, you're like the grass, alive today. And gone tomorrow. So wisdom in verse 12 means counting or numbering our days. It means knowing that the clock is constantly counting down to the moment that we die. Wise people think about death. Wise young people, whenever they're deciding what to do when they finish school, they remember that they're going to die. 
They remember that even if they make it to the very top, their achievements will wither like the grass. People who are wise, when they think about their possessions, they remember that life is short. They remember that bank accounts and nice houses are meaningless once you're dead. Wise people remember that life is fleeting and fragile. They realise that in a few generations time, no one is even going to remember what they're called. Remember, you're going to die. I want to just challenge you, especially about how you spend your time and your money. I want to challenge you to make the work of God's kingdom your top priority. Rather than focusing on things that cease to matter the moment that we die. I want to ask you, will you pray like men and women who have numbered their days? Or will you fritter away your time on things that wither away? Will you share your possessions knowing that you can't take them with you? Or will you pile up stuff that you're going to have to leave behind? Will you look after number one? Or will you As a wise man or a wise woman, devote yourself to something that endures even after death. Wise people think about death. And I think there's an important application here, especially for those of you who are children or young people. Perhaps some of you think that, yes, you would like to be a Christian, but not just yet. You think that whenever you're older, that is when you're going to put your trust in Jesus. But there's things that you want to do first. These verses show us life can be swept away in an instant. You're alive today. So there's an opportunity to trust. You don't know if you'll be alive next week or even tomorrow. So I would urge you, don't put off asking Jesus to be your saviour. First point, wise people think about death. And secondly, wise people remember God's wrath. Wise people remember God's wrath. You may find this hard to believe, but the psalm gets even more morbid as we move into verse 7. Because we see here that death is far more tragic than we ever thought. 
wonder, did you notice in verse 3 and verse 5 that death doesn't just happen? It is always a result of God's decree. It's God who turns men back to dust. It is God who sweeps men away in the sleep of death. We see in verse 7 the reason for this death. We are consumed by your anger. Death is an expression of the wrath of God. The horror of death cannot be covered by euphemisms or by platitudes. Death is far, far more awful than anything we can possibly imagine. Men and women and children should be afraid of death. Because death is the expression of God's wrath. And Moses, he knew this more than any of us. The people had sinned against God. And so God had decreed that they would all die in the desert. Just to get something of the scale of this. I don't know if this number is completely accurate. There would have been something like 70 funerals every single day. While Israel was in the desert. Every single one of those funerals. A reminder of man's sin and God's judgment. In verse 7, you can, you can see Moses just straining to get across the horror. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. And verse 8 brings us right to the very root of the problem. You have set our iniquities... It's another word for our sins before you. <coughs> Have you ever watched one of those police dramas on TV? I think every police drama has a whiteboard where they stick up a picture of the suspect. And then all the lines coming from the picture of the suspect... They have the places that he goes. They have the people that he meets. They have the things that he buys. And before long, they have a very good picture of what this man or woman is like. Can you imagine all of your sins set out on the board? Not just the obvious sins. Not just the ones that people tend to know about. But verse 8. The secret sins. The angry thoughts. The websites. The lies that don't get found out. All of those secret sins. 
being scrutinised under the lights of the crime lab. The root cause, verse 8, is sin. And more than that, verses 9 and 10, it's not just death, but it's life itself that gets lived out under God's wrath. Verse 10, we live 70, maybe 80 years, and every day is spent in the shadow of sin. Verse 10, our days are full of trouble and sorrow. And verse 9, what about this for an anticlimax? We finish our days with a moan. Mankind lives and then dies under the cloud of God's wrath. Verse 12. Knowing this means gaining wisdom. We live in a world that rejects the idea of God's judgment. Most people refuse to even contemplate that their choices are sinful in the first place. And secondly, that God might just be angry. No one thinks that way. But wise people admit that they have sinned. Wise people recognise that God is angry. And he's justly and righteously angry. Wise people read verse 11. And when they read it, their stomachs sink. Who knows the power of your anger? None of us. God's wrath is so overwhelming that we can't even begin to understand it or measure it. And because of our sin, that wrath that is beyond our comprehension presses down on us. We live out our lives in sorrow and then we wither like the grass. Like I say, it's a very morbid psalm and I hope that you have been at least troubled somewhat by the things that we've said. A good doctor, before he gives the cure, is going to tell the bad news. It's the bad news that comes first that makes the cure all the more amazing. And now, having seen the bleakness of this psalm, finally we reach the good news. And the contrast makes it all the more remarkable. So thirdly, and finally, wise people seek God's grace. Wise people seek God's grace.
this song <clears throat> is full of contrast. It's very, very skillfully put together. Verse 5, for example, we're like grass that withers in a day. We have roots that barely break through the soil. Yet what could be more different from than verse 1? Or verse 2, in fact. The mountains. They stand unchanged from century to century. They've been there long before humans have even lived in some places. Cave Hill, there long before people came to Ireland. And we're told, verse 2, even before the mountains were born, even before the seas and the continents were formed, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord is God. Which is incredible. But not nearly as incredible as verse 1. Because we've seen already the grubbiness of sin in verse 8. We've seen the intense anger of verse 11. And yet, in spite of that, we have verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You've been our home. You have been the place where we go to find refuge. You've been the place where we run whenever we're scared. You have been our dwelling place. And notice, it's not just today or yesterday. It's not just last year or the year before. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You have been upholding and protecting and loving your people right from the very start. Do you see how Moses would have been encouraged as he thought of this? He knows that he and the people have sinned against God. He can see every day the consequences of that sin. And yet he knows that he can always go to God. He can always throw himself on God's grace. He can always expect a response. And I have to ask, do you have this same hope? Whenever your days fill up with sorrow and trouble, whenever your strength wilts and withers like the grass, whenever you're bogged down by the guilt of your secret sins, can you, like Moses, call God your dwelling place? 
if you're a Christian, then the hope of verse 1 is also your hope. And I want you to notice as we look at the rest of the psalm, the difference that this makes in how Moses prays. Verse 13 onwards, notice how boldly Moses addresses God. Just as God, in verse 3, says to man, turn back to dust. Moses says to God, in verse 13, Turn back, O Lord, have compassion. Verse 14, rather than anger, pour out your covenant love. Satisfy us with that love that you have had through these generations. Take away our weeping and our fear and replace them with joy and with gladness. Replace the dark night of your anger with the bright morning of your love rather than years of toil and trouble. Give us years of singing for joy. And verse 15, make us glad even in the midst of your affliction. Give us a joy that can't be tainted by the pains of death. A joy that can't be conquered. Sorry, a joy that can't be tainted by the pains of life. That can't be conquered by death. Moses is a wise man. Moses knows about sin and he knows about death and so what does Moses do he casts himself before God and he pleads for God's loving kindness the challenge of this psalm are you living wisely whenever your conscience prods you about sin do you try your best to just make up for whatever it is you've done or do you plead for God's grace and favour whenever life gets tough do you try your best to just soldier on Or do you ask that God will satisfy you with his unfailing love? Whenever you fear for the future, do you toss and turn as you lie in your bed? Or do you cling on to God's covenant love that lasts through generations? True wisdom means pursuing God's grace. And the wonderful thing about this psalm is that any one of us who are believers can pray just like Moses. We can expect the same favour 
and the same blessings. Because 3,000 years after Moses, God is still our dwelling place. And in fact, I would suggest that we have a confidence that even Moses could never have had. I want you to look please at verse 11 once again. Who knows the power of God's anger? I want you to think about that. Surely there is one man who knows this power. One man who has experienced it in all of its force. The Lord Jesus Christ, who bore this anger that should really be for us. Jesus, who we run to for refuge from the problem of sin and death. Jesus, who if we're believers, has taken our secret sins and has nailed them to the cross. Jesus, who takes us from being objects of wrath and causes us to be objects of favour. Jesus, the dwelling place of verse 1. If you haven't yet asked for Christ's grace, then sadly, you are still under God's wrath. If you haven't yet turned to Jesus, then tragically, death for you is something to be feared. True wisdom means throwing yourself completely at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have done that, for those of us who have been rescued and who continue to live by Christ's grace, this whole psalm gets turned on its head because the root problem of verse 8, the problem of our sin, is dealt with by Christ. The problem, verse 7, of God's indignation, it's gone because Christ has borne God's anger. The problem of death in verse 3 is no longer a problem. Yes, we die, but if we're in Christ, then we are raised to new life. Do you remember the words of that Roman slave? He said to his master, remember, you are mortal. The Lord Jesus Christ has a message for his people. And it's completely the opposite. Remember, you're going to live forever. 
remember, I have swallowed up death in victory. Remember, by my grace, you are no longer mortal, but immortal. What great reason we have to give thanks as recipients of this grace. Let us stand as we come before God in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for your wonderful, unfailing, never-changing, inexhaustible covenant love. We thank you for the great favour that you have had for your people throughout the years of your creation. We thank you for the wonderful concern that you had for, for Moses and for your people in the wilderness, for how in spite of their sin and in spite of the punishment that they deserved, that you preserved your people and you continued to love them with a great love. Father, we thank you for how this unfailing covenant love is seen even more clearly in our day. We thank you for how we can look back to the Lord Jesus Christ, our dwelling place. We thank you, Father, for how he has dealt with the problem of our sin. We thank you for how he has satisfied the anger that each of us deserves. We thank you, Father, for how he has swallowed up death in victory. We thank you for how we can look at death and we can say, where is your sting? We thank you for how all this bad news of this psalm for those of us who are believers has been conquered by the grace of Christ. And so we pray, Father, that as we contemplate these things that you will move us to praise and to worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.